You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. And I think that this is something to commend David for. You know, this is really the sign of a good reader. He listens to those who are a part of their ministry, if you will, and he takes their advice. So if you want to be a good leader, you know, listen to those that God has placed around you that provide counsel. And this is just a good quality. This is just a good attribute to have good virtue to possess as a leader. So we want to commend David for that. Whether we seek it out with ambition or it's the last thing we could possibly want, at some point in our lives, we're called to leadership. If we're not careful, we can easily fail in a multitude of ways, whether it's ego, inexperience, or otherwise. In today's message, Pastor Mike reflects on the importance of practicing humility by seeking the counsel of others when leading. In his study, you'll learn how humility plays a powerful role in leadership as Pastor Mike reflects on the example of King David. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 18 as he begins his message, The Heart of the Father. Grab your Bibles, and if you would, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to cover most of this chapter, chapter 18, here in the book of 2 Samuel. But I want to focus in on, to begin this message, in verse 33. The title is, The Heart of the Father. If you remember last time, Absalom has driven David out of the city of Jerusalem, and Absalom's troops, that is David's son, has now gone to war against David and those faithful followers of his and his mighty men. Now, as the battle ensued, messengers have just arrived telling David of the death of his son Absalom, who has been killed in that conflict, who was leading that rebellion against his father, who, as I've already mentioned, forced David and his loyal followers, his mighty men, to flee the city of Jerusalem, along with David's wives and children. And as David hears the news of what had happened, that is, his son Absalom had been killed in the battle, notice there in verse 33, and then we're going to go back to verse 1, and we're going to cover, as I mentioned, most of this chapter. But in verse 33, we read, Then the king was deeply moved. And literally undone. If you go back to the original Hebrew, that phrase, deeply moved, can be translated undone. So David is undone. And he wept 
up to the chamber over the gate of the city and wept. And as he went, he said thus, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place, O Absalom, my son, my son. Now in reading this, you might consider what David has said here kind of bizarre. I mean, David had, been, had many reasons to actually hate his son Absalom. He cruelly killed his half-brother Amnon. And remember, David had multiple uh, wives, and one of those wives had borne him a son whose name was Ammon. Absalom raped his half-sister uh, Tamar, who was also one of David's children. And so for that reason alone, he had reason enough to hate his son Absalom. And then also he cruelly killed, he actually stole the hearts of the people of Israel away from his father. Remember, David, you know, just taking care of all of the affairs of the nation of Israel as his king, didn't always have opportunity or the time to preside over regularly the cases that were brought before his leaders, his elders there at the gate of the city. So Absalom in his place would go there at the gate of the city and he would suggest to the people who had come to hear those uh, cases that my father is really too busy, but I'll hear those cases. And in doing so, over a period of time, he actually stole the hearts of the people of Israel, suggesting that David didn't have any time uh, for them. And so he stole the hearts of the people away from his father. And then also, throw this into the mix, after he actually came into the city of Jerusalem, he disgraced his father openly by having sexual relationship with David's concubines on the top of the palace. And so anyway, and then also he sought to take away his father's reign as king. He sought to kill his father, thus destroy any of David's loyal supporters. So anyway... Considering all of these things, looking at the rebellion of David's son, his seeking to undermine his father, certainly David had a legitimate reason to hate his son Absalom. But notice here, according to verse 33, rather than hating him, David had this great, intense love for him. And notice once again in verse 33, the latter part of it, David cries out, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place, O Absalom, my son, my son. Okay, now with that said, that sort of sets the stage for this study. Now let's go back, uh, let's back up a little bit to see how this whole thing played uh, out. And as David was sitting at the gate of the city where he had sought a refuge, he had already fled the city of uh, Jerusalem and found his way into the city for his protection, his army, those that were with him, his mighty men, went out to face the army of Absalom. Okay, let's go back now to verse 1 of chapter 18. And uh, we'll go through a verse-by-verse -verse comment on each one of these verses here. And David numbered the people who were with him and set captains over thousands and captains over hundreds over them. Then David sent out one-third of the people under the hand of Joab. Remember, Joab was one of David's generals one-third under the hand of Abiashah, the son of Zeruiah, and uh, Joab's brother, another general, and one-third under the hand of Ittai, the Gittite. 
And the king said to the people, I also will surely go out with you myself. But notice there in verse 3, but the people answered, you shall not go out. For if we flee away, they will not care about us. Nor if half of us die, will they care about us. But you are worth 10,000 of us now. For you are now more help to us in the city. So they provide three reasons why David shouldn't be a part of this battle, that he shouldn't lead the men out into battle. What were those three reasons? Well, according to verse 3, first of all, David's life was more valuable than any of those that were going to participate in the battle. And then secondly, if the battle went bad for them, David there in the city would be able to send reserves to assist them in this conflict. And then lastly, they knew that it would have been hard for David to fight against his son Absalom because of his great love for him. So those are the three reasons why they suggested that David doesn't lead them out in battle. Verse 4, Then the king said to them, and take special note of this, particularly those of you who are in leadership here at Harvest Christian Fellowship, whatever seems best to you, I will do. So the king stood beside the gate, there in the entrance of that city that they had sought refuge in. And all the people went out by hundreds and by thousands. So David listened to the advice of those who were counseling him. And I think that this is something to commend David for. You know, this is really the sign of a good leader. He listens to those who are a part of their ministry, if you will, and he takes their advice. So if you want to be a good leader, you know, listen to those that God has placed around you that provide counsel, and this is just a good quality, this is just a good attribute to have good virtue to possess as a leader. So we want to commend David for that. Now, we are told there in verse 5, Now the king had commanded Joab, Abiashai, and Ittai, saying, Deal gently for my sake, with the young man Absalom, and all the people heard when the king gave all the captains orders concerning Absalom. So what is David suggesting here? Listen, as you go out to battle and you meet Absalom and his military, don't kill Absalom, just take him captive. And again, that was one of the reasons why David had been counseled not to go out and lead them into battle. But there's also something else there that I I want to draw your attention to. These men, encouraging David to stay, uh, stay behind, were willing to take on great sacrifice and danger because they were devoted to their king, David. And I think in the same way, we need to sacrifice and take on whatever danger that we may have to face in defending our king, that is the king of kings, who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So once again, we commend these men. Now in verse 6, So the people went out into the field of battle against Israel. Now remember, Israel had been seduced by Absalom's charisma and power, and all the battle was in the woods of Ephraim. So this this conflict had taken place there in this location, in the woods of Ephraim. The people of Israel were overthrown. Notice that, so Absalom and his forces were overthrown by David's men there before the servants of David, and a great slaughter of 20,000 took place there that day. For the battle there was scattered 
over the face of the whole countryside, and the woods devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. Now, that phrase there is something very interesting, and it suggests something to us that I want to draw your attention to. And we are told the woods devoured more people than the sword devoured. So this phrase implies that God fought for David and his men in an unusual way. The soldiers that were loyal to Absalom seemed to be swallowed up by the woods. Now, C.H. Spurgeon, commenting on this particular situation, said, and I quote, Perishing not only by the sword, but among the thick oaks and tangled briars of the woods, which concealed fearful precipices and great caverns into which the rebels plunged in their wild fight when the rout set in. So, God had obviously intervened in this conflict. And he was the one who actually went before David's men to rout Absalom and his army. Now, verse 9. Then Absalom met the servants of David. Absalom rode on a mule. The mule went under the thick boughs of a great terebinth. Remember now, there's battles ensuing there among this forest. And his head caught in the terebinth, so he was left hanging between heaven and earth, and the mule which was under him went on. So now Absalom, caught by his hair on one of the branches of this tree, is now swinging in the wind. And he's just hanging there. The mule has gone before him, right? Now a certain man, one of David's men, saw him and told Joab, one of David's generals, and said, I just saw Absalom hanging in a terebinth tree. And so Joab said to the man who told him, you just saw him? And why did you not strike him there to the ground? In other words, why didn't you kill him? I would have given you ten shekels of silver and a belt, a great reward. But the man said to Joab, though I were to receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, I would not raise my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king commanded Joab, remember what David said, you and Abiashai and Ittai saying, beware lest anyone touch the young man Absalom. So in other words, what he's saying here is, I heard what David said. We were to capture him and not kill him. Well, verse 13, he goes on to further offer his explanation why he didn't kill him. Otherwise, verse 13, I would have dealt falsely against my own life, because if David would have found out about it, David would have killed me. For there is nothing hidden from the king, David, and you yourself would have set yourself against me. In fact, David would have commanded Joab to go out and kill this man who had discovered Absalom hanging there in that tree. Well, anyway, then Joab said, I cannot linger with you. And he took three spears in his hand, so he's going to do what this other fellow wouldn't do, and he thrust them through Absalom's heart while he was still alive in the midst of the terebinth tree. Now, this reference to Absalom's heart is a general reference to the middle of the body. So don't be confused about this. He struck Absalom hanging in the tree, but he didn't plunge him with one of those spears into his heart. Because and then, and notice in verse 15, there we are told, and then ten young men who bore Joab's armor 
surrounded Absalom and struck, and they killed him. And I think it was significant that there were 10 young men. And I think that this was in retribution to, remember, when Absalom first went into the city of Jerusalem and he took David's 10 concubines and went into them, had sexual intercourse with them on the top of the palace a roof. And so I think that it was significant that there were 10 young men representing Absalom going into the 10 concubines of uh, David. Anyway, verse 16, so now Absalom has been killed. So Joab blew the trumpet, and the people returned from pursuing Israel, for Joab held back the people. And so now the rout of Israel is complete. They blow the trumpet, the fighting has ended. And then notice, they took Absalom and cast him into a large pit in the woods, so they didn't bury him in one particular place, in some random location where he wouldn't be discovered, where his body wouldn't be discovered. Why was that? And laid a very large heap of stones over him. Then all Israel fled, everyone to his own tent. So Israel now, Absalom's troops, are in full retreat. Now, they did what is recorded here for us to just make sure that he wasn't memorialized, that his Absalom wasn't memorialized or had become an inspiration to any future rebels. You know, they would gather together there at Absalom's tomb or where he had been buried, and, and that would motivate the people to go out once again to battle against David. And so Joab made sure that that wasn't going to happen. Verse 18, now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up a pillar for himself. So he made plans for where he was to be buried at his death, which is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son. Now this is interesting because 2 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 27, we're told that Absalom actually had three sons. So this may seem a little confusing to you, but really what had happened, and it really it only indicates that those three sons that are mentioned in 2 Samuel chapter 14 had actually died before their father Absalom, and that's all it suggests. So there's no contradiction here in the scriptures. So let me read it again. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up a pillar for himself, which is in the king's valley, for he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name, and to this day it is called Absalom's monument. Then Ahimez, the son of Zadok, who was one of the priests, said, let me run now and take the news to the king how the Lord had avenged him of his enemies. But Joab said to him, You shall not take the news this day, for you shall take the news another day. But today you shall take no news, because the king's son is dead. So Joab actually wanted to spare him the burden of bearing bad news back to King David. Verse 21, Then Joab said to the Cushite, Go tell the king, what you have seen. So after a period of time, then he was sent. So the Cushite bowed himself and Joab, and then he ran. Okay, now, when the guard, so now he's heading back to David. Remember, David is there in that city. He's just waiting for what had taken place, the news of the, the battle, how the conflict had gone. And when the guard, who was there, one of the sentries, who was on the top of the, the walls of the city, saw this fellow, this Cushite, coming 
a messenger, David stood up to greet him, and the first question that he asked, notice there in verse 32, he asked this question, is Absalom safe? So obviously David is not concerned about the outcome of the battle, but he's just more concerned about his son Absalom. Now I want to bring you back to that verse one more time, and I failed to mention this before in, in my opening introduction. It says, then the king was deeply moved, or undone. So why was David deeply uh, moved? Well, David was so deeply moved because he knew that he had supplied the soil this tragedy grew from. That is the soil that came from David's indulgence. Parenting. His son, uh, so that was one of the reasons why. He never disciplined his sons. We talked about that in one of our previous studies. So that was part of the, the soil whereby this tragedy grew. The soil came from David's indulgent parenting. But then also his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband Uriah after which God had promised, in fact, quickly turn back with me, if you will, to 2 Samuel in chapter 12. So the judgment that God had pronounced upon David for committing the sin of adultery with Bathsheba, which led to the killing of her husband, Uriah, God pronounces this judgment upon David, and it's recorded for us in 2 Samuel in chapter 12 in verses 10 and 11. And as exactly as God had pronounced it, it had come to pass here. Now therefore, so chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. Who's God referring to here? He's referring to Absalom. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. That is openly and publicly. So anyway, David knew that all of what was going on, the death of his son Absalom, at least in part, was a part of what the consequences of David's actions. Okay, let's go back to uh, chapter 18. So the soil came from David's own sinful indulgences of his passions and smaller rebellions against God, which sins and weaknesses were magnified in his sons. Now, there's something else that I want to mention here, and that is, this should show all of us that it isn't enough that parents train their children to be godly, but those parents must first train themselves in the way of godliness. And so this is so very, very important. Don't expect your children to be godly unless you model godliness for them. And you see, that's exactly where David had been negligent. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long. That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. Thanks for tuning in. Did you know that you can listen to Pastor Mike's teachings on your favorite podcast app? Just search for In My Father's House with Mike Finizio and be sure to subscribe. And let us know you're a listener in the comments. 
We'd love for you to join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship, too. You can find all the information you need at harvestnyc.org. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, or if you're unable to attend in person, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time studying God's Word. We're live-streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch previous Sunday messages, click on the Resources tab. You can also watch services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. One more time, that's harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. And we're praying for you. Thanks again for joining us today. And we look forward to our continuing study of 2 Samuel next time, right here on In My Father's House. There's a place